This is Attitudes of Sexual Integrity, Episode 11, Season 4. My name is Russ Shaw. Today, we're going to let down some of our guard. We're going to take off some of the armor. We're going to get open so we can go small with Mr. Craig Gross. bumper music there if you'd like to check out the bumper music i play here on the podcast they're called promo bumpers in the talk radio or speech media genre asi247.org click on the music tab there's also now a spotify playlist so asi or as i season three is the playlist if you want to search that out or go to the website there and there's a link keeping my nose clean with the recording industry here. That is a bumper by the Foo Fighters, Subterranean, a song that Dave Grohl and the band actually wrote about the city of Seattle. We're going to talk about some of the spiritual health of the city of Seattle. My interview with Craig Gross of Triple X Church, more of a conversation than an interview. I'm not the greatest interviewer in the world, I'll admit it, all right? But we had a great conversation. It was edited heavily because we had some technical issues with the Skype, but it all came out pretty good. And yes, we are going to get into a little relational history. Uh, Craig Gross's run-in with uh, Mars Hill, and more importantly, uh, two of his books open... What Happens When You Get Real, Get Honest, and Get Accountable, and the book Go Small, Because God Doesn't Care About Your Status, Size, or Success. Two books that even the titles of these books hit the nail on the head as far as the spiritual health of the city of Seattle, but not just our city, but our country. Here in the United States, um, there's other countries that are like this, but some of this is very American, so... Those of you outside the States, maybe uh, send me an email, russ at asi247.org, and I'd appreciate your feedback. Because, listen, I wanted to record this little intro to warn you a little bit that this is going to be controversial. Um, For some of you, this is going to push some of your buttons, and I just wanted to let you know that maybe you need to put on your seatbelt to your emotional reactor some. And have an open mind and an open heart to what we're trying to communicate here. There's two things I want you to keep in mind when it comes to approaching sexual ethics, especially in the 21st century. And I'll even go so far as to say debilitating depression, anxiety. In recovery, there's this concept of rock bottom, right? We see the alcoholic hit rock bottom when he loses his job, loses his house. Uh, loses his marriage, his finances. With sexual addiction or sexual compulsion, however you want to phrase it, it's different, all right? It's much more like a cancer than a disease that you would see on the surface that you can catch because of the symptoms. With a cancer, you have to catch it early. 
Um, you, do you have to catch it early? Much more success happens when you catch this thing early, all right? I've seen miracles, all right? There's been people who get cancer, for example, who get miraculously cured, but that's not most people. Same with sexual ethics. When we can catch this stuff early, there's much more success in treating the addiction, the compulsion, and, and saving the relationship. If there's kids involved, if a marriage is involved, the ministry of Triple X Church helps to catch that cancer early, all right? I wanted to talk about a few things. X3watch.com is accountability software that Triple X Church has developed to help keep people accountable, all right? We're gonna talk about that in the interview as well as the fact that if you download the premium uh, X3 Watch by Triple X Church, you will get the book open for free as well as the video series that Craig did on the book open for free as well. The reality is there's a lot of secret habits right? Thoughts about direction and purpose that we're not sharing with other people, and that can be cancerous. What if the devastating consequences of rock bottom don't have to occur, but simply that this thing would be brought out into the light? I've seen it, man. There's people that have been wanting the physician all along, that they've been needing the help. Some will even tell you they were glad they got caught because that ushered out into the light the tumor that was on the x-ray or on the screen, right? When it comes to this kind of ministry, it's a two-prong approach. One is treating the person who has the cancer. The other is treating the hospital that needs to be the safe place for the people that have the cancer. The value of a spiritual community that is safe, open, and loving, it's invaluable. All right, But when people wait until this thing gets really, really bad, um, when your compulsive porn habit turns into seeing prostitutes, and my situation was much like that terminal cancer, and there was miraculous work that God did in my life, and I just want to spread that message to more people, all right? And sometimes it's going to be controversial, and here's why. Mark uh, chapter 2, 17, Jesus tells the Pharisees um, who needs a doctor, right? They're criticizing Jesus for hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. And he says, who needs a doctor? Listen, can I tell you something? As a cultural uh, reality check, churches, ministry leaders, listen, even if you're not struggling with porn, People can see and people can tell that you're having troubles in your marriage, all right? You're having struggles with your relationship with God, with being intimate with God, with communicating that message and people see it, all right? You're not fooling anybody. Jesus says, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sick. And if you're not reaching out for your Savior, people can sense it. People can smell it, and it. people are saying things like it's all about Jesus, yet they're trying to take on things like debilitating depression, debilitating anxiety that produces this compulsive behavior. Compulsive sexual behavior is a way that we deal with stress. And listen, our proclivity in Christian culture to look pretty on the surface is just causing that cancer to grow 
stronger and bigger. And I'm sick of it, all right? The culture sees it. They're not blind to it. And it's like the very people we're supposed to be reaching, we're telling them we don't need the doctor. Listen, throwing out all these moral rules and shoulds and ought tos and we're against this and we're against that. Man, if people aren't meeting Jesus, who cares? And the result is the culture doesn't trust you. All right? The culture doesn't trust you. You're not the doctor. You're not the safe place that people could go to with their marriage, with their sexual issues, with their depressions, anxieties. Most churches, 80% of them today, do not present themselves as a safe place, but a nice, cool place to show up and do some positive thinking and make yourself look great on the surface. That does not treat cancer. We need to be able to trust our churches because churches are full of sinners too. And that was Jesus' point, looking at the Pharisee, saying, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. The sick needed doctor. His point was that they're sick as well, that they need Christ as well, that they need continued salvation as well. And that is the message that we're going to try and talk about imperfectly as sinful human beings, but guys who really want to catch the cancer early. I'll shut my yap and you'll hear from a couple of guys who do love and need Jesus very much in this very fast-paced, wired culture that we are raising our kids in and are experiencing ourselves as well today. I'm self-inflated, self-infatuated, and somehow I convinced myself I finally made it. The truth is I was made like the mob. Geppetto put me together, my strings lead to God. Pride come before the fall, I seen it in the script. So if you see me falling, probably a power trip. Craig Gross, it is an honor to have you on the podcast today, my friend. How are things in uh, sunny California? Is that where you are at this morning at home there? I am in sunny California. have not seen the outside of day yet. So it was a late, <laughs> late night last night. So. Hell yeah. There you go. What happened, man? You know, your normal, typical, hey, Craig, do you know what's going on on Instagram lately? Um, <laughs> yeah, those are my... Late nights. Hey, have you searched for this hashtag? And hey, what do I do as a parent? So I just, my mind was kind of blown last night searching on Instagram, which claims there's no porn and that it's super safe. Right. They just actually updated like six days ago their policy. Bizarre, man. You, there's there's crazy amounts of porn. So I, we uh, we kind of discovered it last night. Wow. Basically, it's a workaround where people, uh, you misspell common words and they block the spelling of the adult oriented words, but not the misspellings. And it's just like porn central. So trying to try to raise some awareness on that, get get some attention. So I mean, they, they advertise as saying, hey, we're not like Twitter, <laughs> you know, but. Instagram is is trying to be at least have some kind of filters and blockages, right? Well, yeah, and that's why someone just sent me on Twitter saying, "Hey, well, what's I mean, look at Twitter, look at Vine, but you know what you get with Twitter and Vine, right?" I mean, as a parent, I let my kids have Instagram because 
I, I mean, they're not on Facebook, but Facebook does a good job blocking porn, and they own Instagram. So they, they've said, we know they have the technology to do it. It's just now, it's just this is just blatant in your face, like, oh, I'm going to misspell porn. I'm going to misspell boobs with, you know, two S's or put three T's on adult. And, oh, oh, that's easy. It's so, like, so we're going to try to raise some hell, get some, uh, and then Apple gives it a 12 plus rating, but yet our app gets a 17 plus rating. It's just, it's foolishness. It's like, it's just these companies, man, trying to, uh, not just keep in check, but it's, you know, it sucks because my kids like it, but I'm not letting them have this until they figure this crap out. Right. It makes sense. You know, it's so different today. I, I look back when, when we were kids, or when I was a kid, you know, I'd find, Finding Dad's magazines, you know, or something like, there's nothing like that anymore. Like, we had to work to get to the porn. <laughs> it's like you talked about in your in your book, Open, you know, we had to kind of go looking for it. Now it kind of, like you said, it comes looking for us, doesn't it? Yeah, I got to work hard to figure out how to, how to prevent this, and then still, you, there's no clear-cut path to do that, but anyways... Right. I wanted to talk about a few things. I wanted to kick off. Uh, so, Craig, how did you get started? For those who don't know what Triple X Church is, um, what? How did this thing get started? For the maybe the twelve people listening that don't know, have never heard of Triple X Church, um, tell us a little bit about how your ministry and, and what you do. Yeah, I started it. Uh, I was a youth pastor. Saw what you just said porn was too easy to to find and so what we wanted to do was create a safe place online to get people help uh, had no idea 14 years later we'd be one still doing this to porn would be even more accessible but yeah it was just an idea it was just a thought right yeah we started in 2002 and uh, man it's just things kind of have taken off from there so basically if you go to triple x church you're going to find a site not that just educates you you're gonna you're gonna learn about that the problem but we're gonna we're gonna help prevent this we're gonna give you some tools when it comes to recovery so we do quite a bit but um i think a big part of it is just letting people know that hey that this this issue is is a major issue that that many people are dealing with that's that's right, and it's uh, you're you're a pioneer in this area. I mean, you started, uh, like you said, you started these. From what I understand, you you started with a friend, and you would go to these youth things, and you would talk. and And porn was such a kind of a hot button issue, and it's one of those things that that people don't necessarily like to talk about. Like most churches, especially, aren't comfortable talking about porn, but it is such a prevalent issue in culture, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we saw this obviously happen in 2002, so it was before Google, before an iPhone, before mobile devices, so um, it was still dial-up days of internet, and it was a lot easier to find porn, and so now today with average house having 10 to 15 internet-connected devices, it's uh, it's crazy. It's crazy what what is available out there. Yeah, and it's... Uh... You know, like, like I said, it, it kind of comes looking for you. It's not it's not something that we go looking for. We have to sneak and try and, you know, get a guy who looks older to go buy a magazine. 
it's it's just floating out there in the inner. I like what uh, Russell Brand said earlier. It's just like like icebergs of filth, <laughs> just <laughs> floating around the information superhighway, and it and it's tough, like you said. And I and I respect what you're doing, especially you know with this Instagram thing and and uh, trying to keep kids safe from uh, from coming across this kind of thing. Yeah, it's a challenge, you know. I mean, it's it's obviously it's not easy today, and a lot of people are handed over devices to their kids and have no clue what they're exposed to. And, yeah. Right. And some um, of the things that go on with, uh, man, it's, it's, it's frustrating on a lot of levels. Right. It's, it is. And, and some of the, some of the way the culture views it too. And, it, and that's starting to spill into the church. Like, you know, what's along with seeing somebody naked? Well, you know, <laughs> there's one thing to see in somebody naked. There's something else to seeing a hardcore porn scene you know, on the internet, right? I mean, some of the stuff does more psychological damage than we know. And it's not just like seeing a, you know, coming across a rated R movie. Some of the stuff, I mean, it, it melds with our brain chemistry and, and really affects kids, man. It, I'm, I've heard a psychologist that said that hardcore pornography viewing as a younger person can cause uh, symptoms much like a child being sexually abused. Yeah. I mean, it's heavy stuff. And, and I think, um, yeah, we hear that all day long. Oh, it's harmless. It's this and that. But man, this, today's porn is not your, your father's porn. That's for sure. No, it's not. And that's part of goes to the addiction of it and treating the addiction of it. And, uh, what you guys do with that is is great as well. Uh, Stephen Kewen is a, a friend of ours, a mutual friend, and and he's talking about the the groups that you guys do. So you have online groups. I've had some discussions with some folks recently um, that have moved to a new city. One guy said he moved to a new city. He doesn't have like the accountability that he had before, and he's kind of looking for a a group. And uh, you guys do that online now, right? With X three groups. Yeah, we have about four hundred. 60 people that meet once a week um, online and I think we've tried for years starting those at churches. We've been successful in, in markets but the problem with that is like you've got to show up Tuesday night to porn group at your church so it's probably the as safe of a place your church might be. Gosh you got to worship with these people you got to see them when you drop off your kids at children's church so it still kind of sucks to show up a, a church to like porn group because there's so much shame and guilt around this issue. There should, there shouldn't be, but right. Um, so, I mean, we have, we have a successful group here in Hollywood. We've got some groups, but uh, I think we just expedited it by offering it online where you show up in front of a video screen and there's 10 people that have signed up that, are just going through maybe the same thing you're going through. I mean, we have groups for spouses, for men, for women. We even have three pastors groups right now, which, you know, I think part of the problem in the church is just pastors don't have a safe place. So they can't go to their own porn group at their church. Um, so I, I think it served a need, you know, for what we're doing online. It's, it's been cool to see people connect um, with each other. I mean, marriages are made on the internet we don't think we can keep people accountable and hold a group meeting online i mean i just the old school people that go oh it has to happen in person it's like gosh there's technology that makes this quite easy to be able to do it and so 
it's it's been fun. I mean, it's been a fun project. Right. I've I've been one of those kind of old school people that talks about doing it in person. I think the the Skype, you know, thing about it makes it a little a little easier. I guess some of the some of the thing that I talk about on on this podcast is getting some of the stigma out of it. Because so many people struggle with it. It's like you know, uh, it's more people struggle with it than chemical addictions like alcoholism. A lot of churches love to say that alcohol is the devil and alcohol is bad and you shouldn't have a beer, right? But we weren't, we aren't talking about sexuality in a way that's, uh, you know, open. I, I've been getting into your book open. I, I, I'm really, uh, I like, I love this book. You, you talk, you did a book on accountability basically, right? Um, tell me about that. How, how long ago did you write that book? Mary, it's just been out, I think just less than two years. Um, it's funny. It's like the book I probably should have wrote 10 years ago when we rolled out accountability software. But I think what I learned in writing it or in finally writing it was just, gosh, this sounds stupid to say like, Oh, I know something you don't know, but I, I, we created software something that a lot of people don't know how to do if, if that makes sense like right oh i get how your software works but i don't want to get how that works with the real person like how do i ask somebody to hold me accountable how do i how do i hold somebody accountable how do i give somebody permission how do i dive into in detail questions about sex and porn and marriage and kids and like how do i not show my best face all the time right and i just thought like people knew hey you need you can't go about it on on your own. You know, accountability is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But I guess over the years of hearing things, I just thought, man, we just got to simplify this. Like this process isn't that hard. Find a few people that you're close with. Be honest. Don't BS people. Um, you know, otherwise you're going to get caught in lies. You're going to end up doing things you never thought you would do. You're going to lose everything. I mean, how many times do you have to see the same thing happen? Right. Repeated over and over. Yeah. Again. It's just so, painful. So we tried to spin it like, hey, this is good. It's not bad. It's not just um, for bad people. Like my wife read the book and I, I don't know. She's like, I don't need to read this book. And, and I was like, hey, just read it. Um, and, you know, it's just one of those like, oh, it's going to take me forever. Hey, just read the book. And so she reads the book. Mainly because when I got to have somebody like my wife read it and then she's going to tell me, Hey, you can't tell that story about our friends or you can't, right. you can't mention that. Like, like, um, so, so that's where I really wanted to read it. But when she read it, she's like, Hey, you know what I realized? Like I'm, I think she's 38 at the time. I'm a pretty good person. So I think, and so I've always just thought I don't need what you're talking about. Like that's just for guys that look at porn, but. I think she realized it was kind of fun watching her because she's like, hey, send the books. Can I send the books to my friend? And I was like, yeah. And she's getting all nervous. Like, how do I ask this friend to, like, be my accountability partner? And I think my wife realized, like, at 38 years old, like, been a Christian 20 years of her life, but maybe wasn't as open as she thought. And it's been fun to watch her over the last two years form a relationship like that with a friend that they have challenging conversations. They... That it's not just about the bad things, but about the good things that they want to chase after. And um, I think just a lot of people think that's for somebody else or that's for people that are really in trouble. And right. Maybe accountability is for people. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the kinda... people you hear about that are getting in trouble because they have people 
around them. Right. It's kind of like um, I did some study on on the 12 steps and the Oxford groups and some of the genesis of the Oxford groups were basically people who wanted to be honest and have authentic relationships that challenged one another that that wouldn't have be clouded with some of the the fakery of religion. Right. Because there's a lot of that. There's a lot of, like you were saying, I got to see these ki- these people when I drive off my kids. You know, I mean, there's there's this strange religious curtain that we have socially when we think about going to a church. And uh, that's that was what intrigued me, that the genesis of that was, was some of this kind of just being tired of, of religious shoulds and ought tos. And I was fascinated that the 12 steps model, the original model, the Oxford groups, wasn't for addicts, right? It wasn't for people who were drunk all the time. It was for people who were trying to be better and do better in their culture. They were professionals. They were teachers. They were members of clergy. And it wasn't necessarily to stop doing something, but to start the ball rolling towards a purpose. Like we want to live our life in a way that's that's meaningful and honest, and I think we know what we should and ought to do. But then there's the the, the Romans seven, right, where where I know what I should not to do, but I'm not doing those things, and I know what I shouldn't do, and I continue to do those things. You know, Lord, please help the wretched man that I am. And that's where you know you talk about uh, you talk about John Kitna, the former Seahawk, who uh, started what he called his groups, you know, as as covenant groups, right? Yeah, they're more, I mean, hardcore, serious. But, like, I, I heard their group, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's, where do you find that? Where do you get that? And and I think when we started modeling kind of what, yeah, I was saying, like, with Kidna's group, it's just, it's inspiring, like, the next, they, they take it up even a further notch, so to speak, you know, of, of being able to, nothing's off limits. And I think just some structure around their group that I think, you've got to be intentional. And that's, that's one of the things we talk about in the book. It's not just, Hey, yeah, this sounds good. It's like, no, we're going to meet, we're going to do this. We're going to, we're going to have these conversations. I'm, I'm going to push into these things that that you asked me about, you know, right. we've, we've conquered these things. So now, now we're going to, you know, I've got a new list of things that I, I'm running after. And yeah, I think it's just easy to just play it safe and talk about nothing with your friends. But, um, man, then you're going to go nowhere. So I, th- I think the book is, is really just trying to help people um, figure out what they, maybe what what it is that they want to do. They just don't know how to get there. And right. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun project. We're actually giving away the book and a video series for anyone that buys X3 watch right now, just because we think this would help you. If, if you want software, you need to know how to, how to go, like really how the software works because right. the software works when you're able to do these things and, right, right. and uh, it's really not anything technical. It's, Hey, how do I stop lying to, to, to people around me? <laughs> right. Uh, Cause that's what your software does. It's not, it's not like blocking software, which, which I like about it, it but it is accountability software. So you're going to, if you're going to go online and I, I used it for a while uh, over the summer and just testing it out on my smartphone and and you know it doesn't slow down my smartphone like i thought it was going to that kind of thing and it, you know but it it doesn't like i said it doesn't block but it does it does produce accountability 
Um, something you said in the book, uh, accountability is not sitting across from someone as someone's judge, but next to someone as someone's advocate. And, you know, that takes having those kind of real relationships. So when you have those three people in your accountability group of four people, um, yeah, man, it takes you knowing them. You you talk about in chapter one of your book, which I respect and like, because I kind of, you know, here's where I'm at a little bit with the software. It's like, okay, you know, and you say, you talk about this and then I think in chapter four with the Trojan horse metaphor. If, if somebody wants to get across a wall, they're going to get across a wall. But those relationships, when they're real, they right they keep you asking the right questions keep you loving that person knowing where they're at and wanting to to move forward in the relationship right yeah and that's that's what you know i think it just comes down to a lot of people you know do they really want that do they do do they really want to to dive into those you know honest conversations and do they really want to grow do they really want to be challenged and i think um you know i talk, talk about i don't know two friends of mine that there's crazy when it comes to Ironmans and uh, racing and running and in the book you know they go training with each other and one one of my friends you know is killing the other friend and the, the guy says to him well how do you how do you how do you run so fast like how, how have you gotten this fast and he said I run with people that are faster than me and my buddy was like oh I mean I'm like the fastest one in my group and <laughs> And yeah, it's better to be like the best person. And I mean, it feels good. Oh, but man, if you're going to take out for a challenge like that with a serious iron man, he's just like, no, I, I swim with people that are faster, faster than me. I run with people and that's how you get better. And I think in life, it's like, gosh, look at your friends. Look at the people that you run with. Like, um, I always say like when it comes to business, like I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. Right. I think in life, it's like you've got to get uh, you've got to get people that if you're struggling with porn, you got to get people around you that have moved beyond that. Otherwise, you got a bunch of friends that just all struggle and you guys all sit around and talk about all the different hashtags you can use to get around porn on Instagram. So I think it's just it's just an idea of like aspiring to like find some people that have figured some of this stuff out that that maybe, yeah, are better than you in some areas and in when it comes to self-control when it comes to you know some of these struggles but most people man they don't they don't want it they don't want to do the work they don't want to push into the to the challenging stuff like that right i heard an interview with a guy that uh, i believe one of the guys that helped design your software and he says a lot of people just want to keep their private lives private right like it's 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 is it embarrassing is it a, a guy thing with pride i don't think it's just a guy thing but you know, it's it's those kind of those kind of things that, and we don't necessarily trust, you know, church people. That's another one. Um, I have to bring up what what's kind of gone through with the Mars Hill thing with myself, and I went to Mars Hill Church, and and last year was really tough with the whole church collapsing. I finally ended up leaving the church in the summer because, you know, and and you're you you place your trust in in like a, an organization like a church for example and when the people that you think are are trustworthy you find aren't trustworthy you know like doing shady backdoor book deals and then saying you know i want to change and i want to meet some of the people that i may have bullied i mean i've heard stories craig where 
Mark sounded like, you know, the, the farmer's insurance guy in, in the movie Whiplash, right? Like he's got this one face here and then behind closed doors, it's just a, a screaming, you know, freaking out. I will end you kind of uh, attitudes towards people. And when the, when all this stuff started coming out, um, a lot of people were hurt, man. A lot of people were wounded and a lot of people have, are still, you know, having a hard time getting open. Um, you had a recent little run-in with a, a guy who uh, was a Mars Hill guy, Justin Dean, and, and you bought, and the, <laughs> I talked to a guy at church, the church I go to now, Port Gardner Bay Church, and there's some Mars Hill people that are there. And I told him I was interviewing you and, and he brought up that he got one of those emails and uh, he was just 38 hot, this guy. And I said, you know, I said, first of all, you have to understand a little bit about what Craig and I do. You and I share this this ministry that sometimes it takes being, like you say, a provocateur and taking some huge risks socially with religious folks, <laughs> right? And poking a bear once in a while just to get people to pay attention to open some of these emails because it is that important. Um, maybe talk about a little bit of that. I know you didn't want to go into the TMZ part of this, but I think it's still important because, Craig, I think that this is touching on where some of the Mars Hill stuff is still not resolved. And some people out there who may be listening now are thinking, how do I trust people? Like, I want to trust churches. I want to trust other people. What does it look like to do that? And uh, so, first of all, the, the email controversy you you bought did you you bought this uh list for resurgence or mars hill or how no i mean uh, let me just address something else because like i get you saying people are hurt and uh, whatever right i mean i don't have much sympathy if, if i'm really going to be honest like there's nothing ever about mark driscoll that didn't didn't like how's everybody duped i mean I mean, savvy guy from a sense of like, I'm going to get the top pretty fast. I'm going to run people over. Like it's his approach. Like I'm not claiming to be the smartest guy, but there's been hundreds and thousands of people that have watched and go, I do not trust this guy. I do not believe this guy. Like this guy's talking repeatedly out of his, out of his butt. Like he doesn't, <laughs> he's not nice. He's not like, were we all shocked with Ted Haggard? Like, come on, like this guy, as well, like you see these guys coming uh, all over the place. And I think with Mark, there's no surprises. We always knew what this guy was. Like, yeah, did you know he was as shady as, as, as he was? No, but you knew he was controlling. You knew, like, he brought people around him that didn't want accountability. He didn't want – he wanted people around him that only said yes. Right. And when he reconstructed that whole operation to do whatever he wanted – when he can take whatever he wants for a salary and do, I mean, so when people are sitting there go, oh, I'm hurt. It's like, gosh, you guys have been blinded for so many years by yes. The guy had great teaching. If you like that. Um, right. And I know so many friends of mine that have gone to Mars Hill. Granted, I never got into it. I never liked him as a preacher. Like I don't like the, I know everything and men are awesome. Women <laughs> suck. And there's black and white, like to everything. And I know the answer. Right. So, I mean, I could never listen to him. But those people that sat in week and week and out, like, were you just blinded by the fact that, like, like, yeah, he didn't have a moral failure, but all we found out about Mark is all we've ever known from one sermon listen to the guy. That's where I'm like, oh, people are hurt, this and that. Like, 
you guys knew what you got when you had him. And now this stuff came out and was brought to light. And hey, I'm sorry that this church collapsed, but the whole thing was broken from day one. And, and like, let's expand more Mark on more TVs and more like the whole system's broken. And, and that's where that's where I felt. So I'm I'm one of those guys, Craig. Like I'm one of those guys that kind of felt hurt and ripped off, right? Because I and you're right. There was some blindness, some voluntary blindness on my part. I never got involved as a as a leader at Mars Hill. I've been doing this podcast for like nine years. It keeps me pretty busy. And the whole hating on women thing, right? My wife and I wouldn't have stuck around a place that was like women suck and, and a place that would be hating on women. There's just, you know, and I know a lot of strong women and community groups that we were involved in that wouldn't have either. Did Mark say some stuff that sounded misogynistic? Absolutely. But I was holding out hope along with a lot of other people that maybe if he preaches this message that maybe this agenda of his may change. Uh, in 2009, Mark released a book called Confessions of a Reformation Pastor, you know, kind of a part two of Radical Reformation. And he addressed that letter that got leaked back in that book in 2009, where he talked about the pussified nation. It sounded like some stand-up comedy routine by someone like Sam Kinison or something like that. So I get when you say, you know, that we saw this coming, but in that book kind of led us to believe that, hey, maybe this guy is having some heart change, right? Like maybe some of this bully-like stuff may change in him when Confessions came out. And, you know, my wife talked about the Ruth series. You know, we were in Mars Hill going through a tough time then. And my wife said, hey, you know, the Ruth series, I think God may have used Mark to actually save our marriage through that message that he preached through the Ruth series. So, yeah, the teaching was good. He started to bring some people around him, like uh, Justin Holcomb, uh, who wrote a book called Rid of My Disgrace. Um, Mike Wilkerson wrote a book, the Redemption Group's book. And both of these guys, to me, Craig, seemed like not, I mean, they didn't seem like uh, Mark guys, right? Guys who would get along with Mark too much. And here was Mark one Sunday promoting books that weren't written by Mark. But... I still had questions, right? So I had these guys on the show, these these two authors, uh, Mike Wilkerson and Justin Holcomb. And maybe you could speak to that, some of the warning signs in agendas with some of these guys, because I know you've seen your fair share of scandal like I have, uh, more than I have, way more. Uh, but, right, because th these guys, there was this time where, a guy pulled me aside one of the interviews that I did and said, hey, you know, Mars Hill, the, the pastors here don't necessarily we don't know what they don't know what to do with you. And he says, I think that's great <laughs> because I'm a member of the church doing this side ministry that's not approved by the church. So but I guess I, I get well, what that's you're... a whole other thing of like, I mean, it's not just Mars. A lot of churches, if it's a, a church ministry it's great and we put all our effort at that but we have a hard time churches have a hard time supporting ministries that are birthed um out you know maybe even from the church or people in the church and then but they're they're not controlled by the church so then yeah we just kind of discredit that oh that's just something that guy does he's not yeah. a pastor he's not this and it's like it's about our stuff our guy what we're doing and i think 
That's the you know, cult-like like, part of it, right? Yeah, and it's like, how quick can we get to the top? And, I mean, right. Mark is the great – people would say about us, like, hey, we're brass. We're, we, you know, we're – like, we're loud. We have a megaphone. I mean, right. there's a lot of differences, you know, especially when it comes to grace and the uh, – you know, the ways we approach things versus Mark Driscoll. But I get that. Like, like we, we're underdogs in a multi-billion dollar year industry trying to raise kind of this banner. And and so we take some bold moves We um, and we don't apologize for those things. So I think people could say the same thing at times about, oh, Craig, like he just he's ran people over. Or he's done this or he he he'll use this to, to propel his message. But in the end, um Man, we look for opportunities to try and make people aware of, of this of this issue. Uh, we partner with a lot of great churches. Uh, we speak, and, and man, I'm not a fan of every church I've been at. I'm not a fan of all this stuff, and I've never shied away from saying, hey, Mark Driscoll, there's some things about this guy that like are bothersome. And, right. Um, you saw that crash. I mean, you saw it to me as an outsider where that was headed. Um, but at the same time, like, Hey, let's be honest. Like they had a huge reach. They had this resurgence. Um, and so we look for opportunities as a ministry that places that we're not in or roads that, you know, company that we don't keep, how do we, how do we get that audience? And there's a lot of like those Morris Hill churches that I think would look to us and say, Hey, we don't need triple X church because we talk about porn. We take these strong stances. So I don't know. We just, there was probably one group of churches that we were so disconnected with. And so we, we tried some things when Morris was still around and they were running the resurgence to not embrace them, but like we, we sponsored one of their events, uh, the resurgence conference. And right. in all honesty, it wasn't a good experience at all. Um, you know, they, they took our money and they didn't, um, we wanted to show a video as part of our $10,000 sponsorship and um, they pulled the video and they said, oh, you know, it's just it, it just doesn't fit. It's and it was funny. Tripp and Tyler did it. Uh, you know, it was a spoof video about porn. And we had some really funny, creative things that we did at that conference. And half the team loved it at Marcel and the other half was like, gosh, this pushes our buttons a little too much. So, yeah, it was just one of those. Oh, we just we'll take your money. But we don't. Oh, no. When it comes to playing a video. Right, we have a certain agenda that we're gonna. Yeah, maybe like, well, this doesn't. Our money. And <laughs> right, it was right. Just one of those like it's just so weird. So anyway, so so once again, it was like we tried. Granted, like we that's what we do. Like right. we do are maybe kind of put you some people on edge because they don't want to talk about it. But right, right, and what... all that to say that the collapse of it, um, we were solicited by a lot of um, just like a lot of other people to buy all the assets of Mars Hill in a digital space for about a hundred thousand dollars. Right. Um, gosh, I want my $10,000 back that I, I gave them, let alone like, would I ever give them a hundred thousand dollars? <laughs> right. It was just like, you no, know, everyone looked in externally at that. And I think laughed like Mark pulled all his content because he somehow owns his copyright to his sermon. So they're trying to sell you domain names and lists and things without Mark attached to it. It's just kind of like, well, what's this really worth? So nobody bought it. Right. And then months go by. We don't hear anything. We get an email from Mark's right-hand man that said, well, you can buy just the email list, the database. 
Right. But he didn't tell you he was Mark's right-hand man, right? Like, he just pointed to some random, well, this guy or this place is selling this email list, right? Is that kind of what went on? No, I mean, we knew because we'd worked with Resurgence. We'd right. Worked with, I mean, come on. Mark doesn't respond to emails. Mark doesn't send text messages back to, like, sponsors of his conference. Right. It all handled through his right-hand man. And his right-hand guy who, you know, was also a publicity guy, the guy that has basically spoken anything Mark said in a digital space. Um, so, yeah, this guy could – well. In a sense, why do we think we could trust this guy? Yet, when all the communications at Mars Hill for so many years were so full of lies, it comes back that, yeah, this was probably a, a bad take on us for to believe him. He just said, hey, it's for sale if you want to check it out. Um, right. Which, to me, though, if I work for an organization that gets shut down and the assets are sold, I, I would let somebody know, hey, here's where you can go find it. Or just like the church shut down, but this new church is opening in Portland, you should go here. I would direct you to that because mm -hmm. it's like I don't have a church for you to go to. Right. I wouldn't – if somebody did something shady or stole something or, hey, this group isn't really – it's a bunch of rogue people, we probably wouldn't do that. So I thought I could trust it from a sense of like, hey, this is – if you want just the email list, it's fifteen hundred bucks, which, once again, some people are going to agree, some people aren't. Right. Uh, fifteen hundred dollars for eighty thousand people. That same email list, I could send one email to for my ten thousand dollars sponsorship. Came with a video, an email blast, and a booth at their conference. You know, here's people that we wanted to reach at a conference and our video never got shown. I, I bet we can we can do something. So for fifteen hundred dollars to to buy the email list, yeah, I'll buy it. Why not? Like I mean so there's a lot of things. Like if you don't understand those tactics on a on a just a business or a ministry level, I would wonder those same people probably don't understand that their church that they loved was selling sponsorships for another Christian organization to the tune of $10,000. So Right. And there was a lot of stuff that we didn't know. Like, there was so much stuff that nobody knew. And nobody was really, like, we kind of trusted Mark. Here's here's one thing about Mark that I'll say that, you know, we, we were kind of rooting for him to change and repent. Because he wrote a book. One of the books, I, the one book I do like of his, it's called, uh, you know, Radical Reformation. And he kind of became what he hated in that book. Like in that book, he preaches against megachurch pastors and control freaks and loving the culture, being here in Seattle. Like we're not, this isn't Texas, you know? I mean, we're a pretty liberal city. Mark grew a flourishing ministry in that city by in the beginning being a very real approach, a very loving people approach. And like you're saying, it's funny how people take issue with you <laughs> when, you know, Mark did kind of the same things. Like he was in your face, he was a provocateur, and he, he got wrestled things up and got people listening. And then, again, the sequel to that book, uh, Confessions of a Reformation Pastor, comes out, and we're thinking maybe this is how Mark is trying to build trust with the booming success that the guy had. I mean, the church just grew so fast, and people started to have suspicions, you know, and, and instead of addressing those, everything was just 
ushered into the closet nice and quietly. So um, we kind of trusted what the guy was saying. But then when you break trust, repairing that trust is something else. And uh, I think that's where that that whole thing fell apart. But I hear what you're saying. I guess some people I kind of I ended up I felt like I was defending you a little bit on Facebook, one of these Facebook groups when this whole news story broke. And a lot of people had a, a hard time with the way you 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 titled the email. And I said, I said, you know, I said, listen, the way he titled the email got you to read it, didn't it? Like that's maybe it was, you know, misleading, but it got you to read it. And some of what we do, Craig, is you and I see front row seats for some of the most devastating collapses of marriages, of whole ministries. I mean, sexual addiction, sexual compulsions in growing in the dark like mold, uh, destroy families. Um, I mean, we see some of that damage. So the fact that you put that title on that email didn't bother me a whole lot where it did bother a lot of other people. Yeah. And the issue that obviously we were promoting was this same thing we were promoting at their conference accountability. Right. I said that that is the reason for the downfall of Mark Driscoll, not a moral failure, not porn. Right. You accountability doesn't work with just all yes men, and that's what he created. And so I stand by that. Like, and once again, I wrote an email to a list of Mars Hill people. Right. What am, an unsolicited email from me in your inbox? Like, who else do I talk about but Mark Driscoll to that? Group? Like, <laughs> what else do they care about? I guess that the the fault I had is the stupidity of me not realizing. This guy can do whatever he wants to do, and there's going to still be 10, 20% of people that will defend this guy till he's dead. And those people, to me, made the loudest noise on that email. Right. Of, That's true. And it's like, dude, you're still you're defending a guy that still says he's a pastor, and yet nobody will credential this guy as a pastor. And this guy's been asked to leave ministry, and here's all the reasons why. And you're mad that I said he had no accountability. Like, <laughs> right. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. So I shouldn't have sent you that email. Um, I should, I mean, now looking back at it, like, and people know me that they know I can't BS people enough to go. I could have wrote the most greatest email about Mark Driscoll and said how we loved working with them. And, and we just want to let you know, um, you know, I, I don't know, like you could totally like play to that crowd. And, and, and that's why I was like, man, that probably would have worked better. But yet I can't do that. No, um, you can't. So anyway, should we have, there's a lot of things we learned. And then obviously we were duped. I'm not going to say it. I don't believe Justin Dean works alone. It's interesting. Justin Dean owns close to 400 different domain names. He even owns the domain names for Mark Driscoll's family, his wife and his kids. And you're telling me that this guy just ripped off his former boss and he's working all alone, yet he controls the domain names of his former boss's kids. This is a guy that like has some trust there with Mark, and I don't think you just go do this on your own. Right. Justin Dean handled everything in communication for Mark Driscoll. Justin Dean's name's registered on all the – still to this day – if you go to who is like on on the searches, marshill.com says it's registered to Justin Dean. 
So Justin Dean is this guy that Mark trusts to handle, hey, protect my wife's domain and my kids. Like he's the internet savvy guy that I think Mark has trusted in. So you're telling me that guy's turned on his boss and he to do this. Like, no, I think I think I don't think Justin works alone. And then he covers up for Mark. So it's like, okay. Really, Justin, so you, you've chosen to, like, protect one guy. And, well, yes, you're protecting the one guy that is paying you. So it's just people that you continue to not believe and not trust. And so – and he was called to the core on it. And I think that's where I raised the stink going, hey, you guys sold me a list that's stolen because the lawyer that asked me for $100,000 if I was interested told me – these assets are frozen. So I think that's a whole other issue of like entitlement. And I feel like churches sometimes, whether it's the founder or whether it's, you know, a guy that worked there, or a bunch of disgruntled employees. My issue was who, who had the right, nobody had the right to sell me that list. Not just me, a bunch of other people. Right. Pocketed a bunch of money. Now you return the money. Oh, we got caught. Justin Dean told me he didn't do it. Then he issued an apology saying he did it, mm-hmm. but he didn't really say he did it completely. And then he covers everybody and says, but I work all by myself. Well, hey, right. it's just another – to me, it's another cover-up for a guy that they've been covering up for years. And this guy will continue to have these people around him that do these types of things. And I guess conferences will invite him to speak and – we love the comeback story, man. Like it, it is. Yeah. It is something that I think obviously Jesus is forgiving, but we do not like. I mean, the Billy Graham guy is boring. Like in the Christian world, oh, he just he lived such a good life, and he's like he played it the right way. Like we don't give that guy enough credit. I mean, right. we do to Billy, but the other guys that are trying to to follow those footsteps, we man, Mark. Yeah, let's let's do it again. Let's let's. And, and to me, I'm like, you've lost rapport with people. You've broken trust, dude. You can go work at Carmax, right? Um, right. And that's kind of like where you know, th- there's a there's a website that was started called RepentantPastor.com, where a lot of the Mars Hill pastors who, you know, said they're sorry, like, hey, I was a part of this system that collapsed and, and I was, I sinned and I hurt people. And I, you know, I, and now, and now this guy Sutton Turner, he's putting out some stuff. It's not really an apology. What Justin Dean did with you, that's not an apology, you know? Um, but there's guys who really are repentant and you can hear it in their heart. Like they really are like, man, yeah, we were part of this system. We were yes men. We did, you know, keep this horrible ball rolling and we're sorry. Right. I mean, those guys are for real. Again, it's repentantpastor.com, but uh, Justin Dean is, I mean, like you said, you tweeted recently that it was like a half-assed apology from Justin Dean. And uh, it's so true. It wasn't, that's not really an apology, is it? We see that in accountability groups as guys working with guys trying to quit porn as well. Kind of like those two guys on the plane. They're, they had your software, but they're, right, not really apologizing. They're not really sorry. They're not really trying to. No, just, yeah. I mean, about that. I, and I believe you. You know, yeah, I've, I've met a lot of these guys that are just guys that have repented. And and and, um, 
and, and it's different, man. I get it. Like, I know friends that have worked there, and it's like, man, it's a job. We didn't really like this guy. We didn't trust him. We didn't. But I, I love the church. I love the people. I, I, yeah. I you know, and, and then you got to look at, hey, I, I need a, I, it's a job. It's a livelihood. Maybe this guy will change. I think, um, I just don't think it's fair. You know, to me, it's like you, there's an investigation. They're about ready to come down with their decision. And then, you know, business books would always tell you, like, it's always better to leave before you get fired. And I think for Mark to just kind of duck out before hearing what their plan was to, to, to really like restore him. And it's like, no, well, so what I said in my email, like he doesn't want accountability. He doesn't no. want people around him that no. I think they were going to keep him. Like from what I heard, right. They probably they were, were, you're right. They, they were going to step down for a period of time. He was going to, you know, there's going to, there was going to be some people telling him what to do rather than him telling them what to do. And instead he's like, peace out. And now, I mean, Nobody's mad at the email that you got on Easter Sunday from Pastor Mark um, right. asking for a donation and giving you a free resource and telling you he's back. Like right. at least my timing wasn't on that the that the day Jesus was crucified trying to tell you I'm back. <laughs> right. Right. This is true. So yeah. I don't know. We're not gonna we're not gonna see eye to eye with, with people on that. And people are gonna think I'm a jerk, but um but just, at least you're an out in the open jerk, right? Like you're not trying to say that you don't have other people, right? You're not you're not like the Dean crew over there with taking your website down because there was a controversy, right? Closing I your Twitter. Account. There. I mean, I don't know anybody. I sent a second email to that list saying I bought this list. Um, <laughs> right. So I mean, those people were ruthless. They went to our email provider trying to shut us down. I mean, we took all sorts of hell. But it's like. You had death threats? I heard you had, like, death threats. Like, people calling your house? Oh, and... people just people are crazy. But it's like, hey, I just told you I bought a list. Why would I lie? I bought it from this guy. And here's the site. Here's my credit card. And, oh, I'm not trying to deflect. I wrote the copy on the email. I take ownership in all of it. Right. But the, the, the whole thing, and it's not. I mean, when all these bastards can have blogs and sell blog ad space or, you know, promoted tweets, like, it's what people do. There's a lot of people like that out there, whether they're in church or in your business or in your cubicle. You just, I'm tired of just turning a blind eye to that and just go, I am too, dude. I am so tired of it. No, like, make these people, like, there's got to be some responsibility for your actions. Yeah. and, And just go, man, like, no, we're not. We're we're not gonna we're not gonna do this. Like it's like the twelve steps with uh with uh seeking amends. Like I want to make amends. You know, everybody said that Justin Dean apologized and Mark apologized. Well, yeah, but they didn't. It's kind of like I got caught, so I'm sorry, and this is what happened. But it's not like there's people that are wounded. There's people you broke trust with, and there's people that you could repair some of that trust if you were willing to, as you say in your book. Uh, get accountable, uh, you know, get open and stop faking, take the mask off. Like when, when I hurt someone, right? Like when I hurt the people in, in the church I used to go to, and when I hurt my wife and my family over my lies, I was heartbroken. You know, I really wanted to repair those relationships the best I could from where I was, not make excuses not try and hide, not take my website down. 
Does yeah, that make sense? Yeah, and it's and it's like heck. Let's not even talk about like failures or accountability. We had this situation come up this weekend. Um, what we do obviously is not for everybody. Part of what we do is we have these outreaches into the porn industry, and so as porn shows have expanded across the world, we need more and more church partners that will join with us on a showroom floor, share Jesus with these people, and do it in a way that is not creepy. It's not Kirk Cameron, like, you know, right. repent, uh, <laughs> way of the master. Um, right. You're going to think I don't like anybody. Yeah, Kirk Cameron <laughs> and Mark Driscoll. Um, right. No, I mean, it's just, so there's some frustrations with, with that whole, you know, some of those approaches. So a thing we look for is like, culture of like the church the people i we could train you in like an hour of like what to do it's just like talk to people it's not that hard like yeah. especially if you get some good outgoing people so anyways it's just this idea of like have fun and, and and so long story short it these shows cost us say 15 grand um way better money spent than spending it at a resurgence conference <laughs> so uh amen so right it, it takes some money and so what we try to do is get a church in to offset Basically, they bring 10 people. The people raise money. They create a fundraising page. Says, I'm going on a mission trip to a porn show. And that's how we've done 93 porn shows. Like, that's how we've done, let's say, the last 40. Uh, because otherwise, we just, man, we can't move at the pace we want to move. So, brand new porn show happens in a new city. We don't have a church partner. Um, we find, I uh, guy works for us. Call it creative. Call it like, hey, this is. I mean, I can't fault him. He he just googles, uh, goes on Google's, finds a church, whatever. They get interested, and I was like, okay, this sounds great. They're gonna they're gonna commit to X amount of dollars with X amount of people. So my buddy's in town, and he goes to the church this weekend. And something that Google doesn't tell you, although their website would have told me. Um, so he just sits there, and he goes, Craig, yeah, I. I mean, I would never go here, which I can't really use that one because there's a lot of places like I know people would say they'd never go. But, hey, it could be a great church. It's just not a fit. Right. So he gives me kind of the rundown of it. And I, he's like, I'll just go. Just pull it up. Just go to their website. Watch the sermon. And pastor, I mean, I don't I and I'm I'm not against charismatic at all. Like our church we go to is pretty charismatic. Right. So I can handle the keyboard in the background, but the pastor gets up in the nice suit and, oh, hello there, people. Just even <laughs> his voice, how he's talking about praising the Lord. And, like, it was so fake. And right. Everybody, it was so fake. Like, beyond. And I, I turned it, I was like, no. And then he's like, well, but they have people and they have right. some money. They have some resources. They got warm bodies. And that's why, so we get in this argument in our hotel room. I was like, I don't need their money. Like, I need mm -hmm. good people that are believable, that want to, like, are you comfortable getting someone we meet on a showroom floor and saying, oh, I go to this church, and now that's the guy you hear. And so anyways, all that to say this, I'm not a genius. Like, right. I watch this video, and I can tell not because I'm jaded and not because I'm a jerk, but I can tell this guy is phony from a sense of like the phony pastor voice. The yeah. He might be a great guy in real life, but what he presents, 
isn't the Christianity or the church that I think is intriguing to this generation. Right. There's a I difference between from. people that put the gospel forward, that, that present good news in, in the culture today. And then there's people that are kind of like the 21st century Pharisee, right? They're just preaching to the choir. Yeah, or there's just like, gosh, I don't believe it. And so I think when we go back to whether it's Mark, it's like if you're sitting at a church and, oh, it's great. I love the donuts, but I don't really believe the pastor. Right. I I don't. That's bigger than like I don't like the pastor. Like, oh, man, I don't like his uh, his Vegas jeans and his affliction shirts. Like, yeah, those are all preferences. But I think just going down to like if there's a. But it seems real, Craig. It seems real. I guess that's one of the things that got me hooked a little bit on Mars Hills. He he doesn't present himself as that guy. Right. That that pastor guy that I didn't trust. Like he sounded like the real deal. But. Over time, he didn't. You're right. Over yeah, time, that's the... where I just think you just got to. I, I mean, yeah, everybody's fallible. Everybody, you know, nobody's, and everyone's going to have their downfalls. But I think we need more. We, I'm not afraid to say, like, hey, in the church, we we can't tolerate some of this. Like, dude, I'm on my, uh, I'm on my third wife, and yet I, you know, I still got a church. I still got. I still got you know, this platform, I still write these books on this and that. And right. You know, like I, I divorced, I'm 40 be, something. I, I divorced my 40 something wife to get this 20 something wife. Oh, and by the way, the, the gay people are going to hell. Right. Like I just so don't, I, I just have a, such a hard time with those kinds of, of places and they're rampant. Right. Yeah. So I just think, you know, as people in the congregation, you, you know, in a sense, you're writing these guys checks. Like you're you're supporting whether like, you could go somewhere else. And there's a lot of great places. I just go. That's key to me. Like, not can they bring people? You know, you know, can they write a check? It's like, man, I don't want to take a check from you when I don't believe you because I have to work with you. Right. And I can't hide the fact that I wouldn't. We wouldn't. I couldn't go to this church and like it would hurt my ears to listen to like. <laughs> It just like and and so all I'm trying to do and and everything it's like just get people to be real and honest and right and I think that clean up those messes a lot easier than you will years of lying and years of hiding secrets. That's right, and having the right people asking the right deep tough questions and and you know I, I even think and this may sound weird but i even think having a, a little video conference with the pastor maybe every so often of a mega church right just to say for people to ask some tough questions and if that cat can't answer tough questions then maybe he shouldn't be pastor like there was a certain part where mark got where it was just don't ask me stuff like that right like he would just avoid everybody he just started avoiding everybody because people were going to ask the wrong questions about you know people being jimmy hoffett off the website stuff like that but i want to get away from mark and talking about that whole thing um one of the things about you that i respect is that you don't i mean you you are a guy who doesn't mind stirring up some controversy but sometimes you don't uh toot your own horn so much when it comes to the results and and I do want to talk a little bit about the results. So you just touched on the fact that you go to these porn conferences and, and, and there's some really good fruit from that, isn't there? Like you, there's people that have met Jesus. There's people that have had their, their lives turned around. Something you said to Ron Jeremy, you know, like, hey, if people, if the porn industry is so great, then how come so many women are contacting us wanting out, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's just that presence that we've had, like, for 14 years and, and, and the fact that, you know, you can trust us. I think people have learned that, hey, we're going to be here. We're going to keep showing up. We were in Vegas recently to show in the girl walks by. She's probably 27. She says to her friend, that's the most legit group here. And Why? I, I think that's kind of the, the long tail has been, man, there's been years of like us seeing no fruit. But it's those years that you're planting those seeds that make it a whole lot easier when I go now with a new team that's never been there. But those seeds have been planted for years that they go, oh, no, these these are good people. These are they're people that I can trust. So, yeah, I mean, we've seen people give their lives to the Lord. People leave the industry. Um, I mean, we sponsored the, the four largest porn shows in the U.S., our names right underneath their logo as the one of the main sponsors, like wow. with with a link right to our site, which is you would think is counterproductive for the industry. But then again, the people we know in the industry aren't fearful of us; they actually right. like us. You've built trust with that group, right? Yeah, it's it's one of those ministries that that's like that. And uh, so you wrote this book, Go Small. I want to talk a little bit about that before before you go, man. Um, and it seems like maybe some of this is birthed out of what you're talking about, purpose and, and having some real friends, you know, and, and as we live out our lives and actually carry forward together, um, what are we after? What are we trying to, to achieve? And, and what impacts the heart kind of stuff? Um, what, tell me some of the genesis of, of, of go small. You talked about having a little bit of health issues and God kind of forcing you to slow down, right? Yeah, I mean, just a season of, of not knowing what was going on. And yeah, it just kind of led me to ask kind of some tough questions, stay off the road, um, just kind of relook at some things. And I think we all aspire big, you know, um, Right. That was part of the Mars Hill message. Go big or go home kind of an attitude. Yeah, yeah. How big is our reach? How how big is our platform? How do you, you know, it's... It's ingrained uh, in the culture here in Seattle, man. We are the birthplace of, like, Microsoft and UPS and Costco, and there's so many... I mean, it's just just ingrained in the culture not to even rest, you know. Somebody might get a one-up on you or something like that. Yeah, so... So, yeah, I think the idea is like, hey, God doesn't care about your size, your status, or your success. And right. if you can really wrap your head around those things that the Lord's not really interested in, I think able to place less and less value in your own life on, on those things. And it's tough because it's like, um, you know, like my son said to me, Dad, I'm going to have more Instagram followers than you. Um, and I just like, so what? Um, you know it's interesting because like we just had that conversation Beckham uh, David Beckham plays soccer those of you people that don't know anything about soccer if they um, but uh, he's married to an old spice girl he's got a son soccer player that's a model as well so his son's maybe 17 posted an Instagram video on his Instagram video he's like hey thanks you know I got a million followers and then David Beckham walks behind him and he's like basically like shut up son i've got 50 right at 50 million and it was just like the video went viral people were talking about him i like tried to tell my son my here's my son going hey dad i'm gonna have more followers than you hey it doesn't matter like none of that really matters instead of like it no it's not a competition like 
yeah, I don't, I, you're in movies, I'm not, and you have, there's kids that, like, I don't care, and I hope you never care that much about that, because those people won't do or mean anything for you, and, like, I don't want you to aspire for a like, for a fan, for that, and I think that's probably going to be the hardest challenge with this next generation of, like, because they'll realize, well, you know, I mean, there's girls in my son's class that know if I don't show a lot of clothes, I can get a lot of likes and yeah. I can make this compromise and this will get me this. But at the end of the day, what is what does 50 million fans get David Beckham? I, I mean, so what? Like, yeah, that sounds great. But man, there's I think the Lord didn't care about any of that. And I right. think trying to it can rot the soul if we let it, you know, that prestige of of look how great I am, how many followers I have, that kind of thing. I got I run sixteen churches on a video screen every Sunday that show my video because I can't, you know, I don't. It's harder to actually work with a, a pastor and work with them and how to craft a message. Hey, I don't want to do that. I want to actually show my video, me, me, me. And I think it's just it's all over every aspect of our world. And I think. For me, it's like what happens when you decrease and you let him increase. Um, and I mean, that's how this book started. I, I was sick. I was. I have a friend who's highly respect, but a guy that also like he's a guy that's put me on television numerous times. And he says to me once, not more than once, he says, "Craig, if you ever get caught doing any of this stuff, I'll cut your balls off, hang them on a tree, and light them on fire. <laughs> um, have a good night." Right. You know, he's just like this guy that's like. But, you, you know, he realizes, like, hey, there's some responsibility that comes with what we've done. And, hey, if I'm going to put you on TV, if I'm going to do these things, like, hey, I expect that you're living this out. So, anyways, I was in New York, and I sat with him, and I just said, hey, man, well, I don't know what to do. Like, I've had this, like, you know, some health deals, this and that. And he says to me, like, nothing's wrong with you. Kind of like he's a doctor, and he's not. Right. He's like, you need to decrease so he can increase. And it was just like, I didn't want to hear it, you know, like, really? No, like, I need to do this. I need to do that. And and so the whole book kind of came after that. But it was just my next year really looked like what would it look like if I stepped out of the way and did less and allowed God to do more? And I think um, the book, I kind of share what happens when when those things, you know, when you go do those things that um, I think the hardest part for me is like I'm feeling way better. I'm over all that. So it's easy to just jump right back into like that same, right? Fall into the same habit, right? uh, You know, to keep those boundaries, right? Um, Talk about you know the 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 physical intimacy changes. You know, something that porn addicts find that after getting rid of the porn or getting some distance away from it. how those relationships change and it's kind of the same when we're we're driven for success as well you were able to connect with your your wife more right and and how to talk about that a little bit because i think that some of us we some of the marriage issues that we see in culture today um we think that our our spouse somehow has to be our cheerleader all of the time and if they're not then somehow they're not they don't love us or something right so (laughs) i wanted to ask you about that when it comes to going small um there's more there's more intimacy when you're when you're able to slow the heck down right yeah and i think just be present um be here you know and 
be not just be home but be be present and be a part of what's going on you know right here i i love like i think it was the lumineers some band yeah i think it was them or or mumford and one of those it doesn't matter who it was (laughs) they basically started yelling at all the fans saying like put your cameras down and like be here like you know this crappy footage on youtube of us playing this song from the back row is not something you'll ever watch. Right. Like, and nobody wants to see. Just remember. And then it's like the one song you've been waiting two hours for us to play. And we're finally playing it. And they like stopped. And they're like, just enjoy it. Like, put your phones down. And everyone's going to believe you're here. You know? And it was just the way they said it, it made you feel so stupid. And yet. <laughs> right. Half the crowd still like, no, I gotta get this. Like, this <laughs> Don't tell me what to video. do. Like, no, like, I was here, and I, I think, you know, just that idea of like, yeah, look what I, look what I'm doing. Like, look at me, look at me, look at me. And I think, man, serving a God that's like, he's trying to show us like it's, it's about drawing less of that on you and 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 more to to him, but. So I just think we're up against a lot. Like, so how do you? I mean, I've got friends that's like, they don't know how to like just enjoy something in front of them. And my friend, I mean, my kids aren't allowed to be on their their gadgets when their friends are over. Like, right. you've asked for your friend to come over, and it's Saturday. You could be hanging out with us, and you guys aren't going to sit on your your freaking iPhone. You know, my <laughs> son didn't have an iPhone, but your your iPods and play games or text like. Like no, like be just present be with your friend. Talk. Yeah. Like yeah, so it's just like that's scary, man. Like just what I just think a lot of people don't know how to do that. Call somebody instead of just texting them. Like, no, like pick up the phone and actually I can lie to you a lot easier on text than I can like you hearing my voice saying, Yeah, man, I'm good, but actually I'm not. Um so it takes time. Like we live in a world where we don't want to give that kind of time and effort to a lot of these things. But social media is kind of that, that way too. It's sort of eroding the way that, I mean, I feel like I'm connected with people. I really sometimes do. I feel I've family members I haven't seen in years and we're chatting via the text, but some of that can really soak up our just picking up the phone and calling them stuff. Can it Yeah. being an authentic relationship with folks? Um, so I wanted to touch on a little bit. I, I, I had a kind of a confession for you years ago. There was a guy, a friend of mine uh, in a group who said, Hey, we should go see Craig Gross and Ron Jeremy do this conference in Seattle. And I was kind of like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I was just having a hard time with, with Ron Jeremy, you know, just kind of judging the guy and, and he's, doesn't he get paid for some of these things? And, and uh, like, I don't, I don't want to support Ron Jeremy, but you guys have had some really good debates. I've watched them online and I've kind of come around to, yeah, you know, these are, these are, you're going to colleges, for example, you're talking with people and some people are always going to defend the porn industry. And, and some people are going to have, you know, some, some heart change, maybe get the hamster on the wheel to think about what it means to consume pornography. But I wanted to, to touch on, maybe end on, uh, your relationship with, with Mr. Ron Jeremy and uh, I guess he, he called you with with one of his own health challenges recently. I was wondering if you didn't mind telling that story here. Yeah, I mean, he just 
called me one night and said, I don't want to die. I got a 30% chance that I might die. Right. Like, like a heart attack or what happened? I, I can't. Uh, heart aneurysm. And, you know, I said I'd pray for you. And we ended up headed down to the hospital and uh, sat with them. And, well, I mean, sat there in the waiting room while they operated. And, and this wasn't convenient for you either, was it? Like, you, you probably, like, you're going to call Ron Jeremy. And there there had to have been something in your head when the phone rang that, you know, do I answer this? You were probably pretty busy at the time or. We're... No, I mean, Ron and I, like, our phone conversation, Ron calls me. Uh, when Ron calls, it's uh, when, <laughs> right. like, hey, aren't we supposed to go to Seattle, like, tomorrow? Wait, what time are you picking me up? You know, it's like. And we had a gig like that next week. And so he's just like, I, I just thought, oh, what's up? Like, he doesn't have his flight. He doesn't know who's like, what time? I don't know. And it was right. like, what's up? You could hear on his voice. Oh, yeah. and, and I don't want to say I prayed for that conversation for years. Like, you don't ever want that. But, you know, I just, I, I've known enough about Rod to know it's going to take something in his life that brings him to this point to go, hey, I need, I need some help. And I think. I don't know. I, I just kind of thought, man, maybe this is why I've debated this guy for years and, and it, all for this moment. And yeah, I mean, he's, he's kind of pulled through. There's some, um, there's a documentary that's coming out. Uh, we're going to the premiere, I think first week of May, it's called life after Ron Jeremy life after the buffet. And, um, yeah, it just kind of documents what's happened after the accident. Um, Rachel, my friend, Rachel, and I are in it just kind of talking about that night and what happened with Ron since. So I, I think it's an eye opening experience. Anytime you come close to death and right. you live, you, you just, it's, you know, the further you remove yourself from that, like the easier it is to forget it. But I, I do know that it's a monumental kind of experience in, in Ron's life. And, Right. So what did that conversation go down like when you arrived and you see him there in the, the hospital and he's thinking he's going to die? Like, what what did he say to you? Oh, he was out. I mean, by the time we got there, he he did. He went in for chest pains and they saw it was that. And he they just I mean, they were already operating. So it was literally 10 hours surgery right. in the waiting room of just what's going to happen. And it's a huge experience. But I, I do think, Ron. I wouldn't say learned a lot, but I think it, it is his eyes were opened, you know, to right. But you were one of those guys that showed up, right? I mean, you were there when you're not the guy who wasn't going to be there because you're a pastor and he's a porn star. You were there because you're a pastor and he's a porn star kind of a thing, right? Yeah, I mean, right. He just, you know, he said he made three phone calls that night. So a doctor, a girl that he was in love with and and uh and to me and i wanted a second opinion from a doctor and wanted to tell the girl that i think he still was in love with that hey what was happening and wanted her to be there and um thought man i it's funny because he joked he said craig how close are you to the lord um because i need prayer so yeah i mean you just you just go man it's, it's it comes down to not just that moment, but yeah, it's, it's like, man, that's eight years of just being with this guy and uh, just trying to show him and who Jesus is. And, and it's hard to talk to somebody about that if they don't see a need, but when they see a need, um, makes it a whole lot easier. That's right. We, we, uh, we tend to open up a lot more when things get really tough. It's that, that idea of rock bottom 
which yeah. I don't I don't yeah. necessarily like because I think some people can think about the philosophy of rock bottom and say, well, I haven't hit there yet. <laughs> but but yeah. that's not true. You can start now. I mean, today can be your rock bottom if you choose it to be that, right? Yeah. Hey, man, I got to... Uh, I just looked at the clock. I got to uh, I gotta be somewhere at 10. All right. I got to get some... Uh, I got to get dressed. I got to uh, act like a <laughs> real too. human being that didn't stay up till 2.30 at night. Posting <laughs> the creepiest video maybe I've ever posted online. My <laughs> friends are just texting me going, what, what the heck? Like, I was whispering and I was talking about pornography in my living room while everyone was sleeping. So <laughs> it might be a little creepy. That's weird. So were you sleeping or? No, I just, I, I was going to go to bed and then I started getting these text messages from people oh, right. about this situation. I was like, I got to do it. I got to go. I got to go try and somehow show people what's going on. But right. yeah, so I don't know. It's a little creepy. Maybe I was whispering. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be a, creepster but <laughs> right, right. I trying not out. to wake everybody up thanks yeah. again craig thanks again for being on the podcast uh i appreciate what you guys do and uh maybe we'll do this again sometime right yeah man thanks dude for having me on you bet you all bet. right later dude i see you bye, bye.